When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Draft Maniacs. It's the No Ceilings podcast feed, and it's an episode of Home and Away. You know, the No Ceilings family trusted me, and I could not be more proud of who we have on today. It's it, We were just talking right before we hit record. It's been a minute. Nathan Grubel of Draft Deeper, it has been a minute since me and you jumped on the mics together. How are we doing, sir? Well, we talked about it before we started recording. We This is the first time you've ever hosted me on a podcast, which seems pretty remarkable because we've done a number of shows together, but it's always been me hosting you on draft deeper. So I get to kick back for once and see how you're, what direction are you going to take this episode? How are we going to run things today? So I'm, I'm excited to see how this turns out. Cause I think we have a fun topic penned up with some great prospects. The, the fact you brought that up before we hit record, I was like, almost like having a stroke. I was like, there's no way that's true. That's got to be the worst sources of all time. And then I was like, wait, no, I've never hosted Nathan. I don't believe so. So I'm excited. And I know you're going to take advantage of it. And you're probably going to, you know, heckle me the whole time. I'm trying to ask questions, but bring it on. We're going to have some fun. Um, shout out to Nathan for this little idea of this episode. I'm really excited about this one. We're going to call it Imagination Land with NBA Draft Prospects. Shout out to all my South Park fans. But what we're going to basically do is we're going to break down some guys that we believe could be drafted higher towards the lottery that, you know, need you need to sell us. But if you have some imagination, mm -hmm. they could get there. They could go a little earlier than some might have on their big boards and including mine and yours. I, I know we have some prospects we want to talk about that have a little bit of a different range. But what do you think about this one, Nathan? I mean, what do you have a lot of guys with this draft class? Are you starting to kind of get a little chilled about like the the depth or are you getting still intrigued? Do you think there's some guys that might shock us and go earlier? I mean, just let's have a little vent before we get into it. Tell me well, how you're feeling. It's well, been a we're, minute. Nathan. We're already starting to see that, right? We're already yeah. starting to see that like Kevin O'Connor comes out for the ringer. He puts on his draft guide, like Taylor Hendricks, number 10. And yeah. you kind of look at it and you go, oh my goodness. And you look around the no ceilings room and I, I won't name names, but there's the number of guys that have the first prospect who I want to talk about, who I got to see in person yesterday, Jairus Walker, have him as like a top five borderline, like top three prospect. And you go, you go, whoa. And then shout out to Chuck over at Chucking Darts, good friend of the No Ceilings program, does a podcast that is asking, could Bryce Sensabaugh get in the conversation for a number three? And you, you're, you're another guy we're going to talk about today. We're, we're seeing all of these conversations pop up with these players who we look at the face value argument and we go, initially, you probably don't want to take them at number three or number five or number six or seven or whatever the case may be. You might see them as later lottery or even like mid first round prospects, but then right. you start to look at the field and you start to take a look at what some of these other guys have shown as far as their strengths, what we think can translate early on in the NBA. 
and you compare those strengths to a few prospects who maybe they're going to take a little bit of time to develop, a little bit of time to marinate once they get up to the league, and their impact might not be felt right away. So you might see teams argue themselves into, why don't we take a look at this guy? It did, sure, we might be drafting him a little higher than consensus, but if we can get a guy who we know is going to be an impact player, possibly from day one, who still has room to grow in his own right, why are we not looking that direction? Are we really going to fall into this idea of groupthink and have somebody lower on a board versus where we're really at in our hearts? And more importantly, in our minds, imagining what these guys can be to come back to the title of the podcast. So that's really, I think, where you and I are, are at. And a lot of us in No Ceilings are at that point. I want to start, I want to stay with Jarris because you just had the opportunity to go see Houston play Temple. Um, and I was very proud of you after the game. A lot of us in No Ceilings have been very high on Jarris Walker. And I feel like you just came out of nowhere like Thor with a hammer after the <laughs> game. And you took to social media and you said, you know, you tweeted after seeing Jarris Walker in person with my No Ceilings partner, Corey Toloba, I can say with confidence, he's a top five prospect. Now, is it you're just so impressed with what you saw from Jarris in person, or is it kind of the time of the year where, you know, we're all guilty of this, of we kind of get the bigger, the draft sickos. We understand the whole slate of like the prospects. We have a good feel for them. And we start to get excited about the guys that all of a sudden start to play good. Do you think it's leaning towards that? Or were you just so impressed seeing in person? Because me and you have talked before scouting in person and scouting on the couch, two completely different worlds. Absolutely. So, let us talk to everybody about what made Jarrett so special and why were you so impressed? I mean, I'll, I'll drop a little bit of a bombshell that I, okay, I texted, we can do it. This is I why people the group listen. this morning. And I, I put it out there. Like everyone who's in our chat, who has Jarrett's number three, like I'm, I'm next, I'm next on the Island. Like I'm booking my flight. Somebody has got to let me in at the front door, but I'm, I'm, I'm jumping, I'm jumping in and, it's a it's a little bit of a mix as far as what you laid out, Tyler, right? So when I looked at Jarris before the year, I saw a lot of the tools. I saw a lot of the potential, the things that he could become from the IMG tape. Like IMG now to Houston, I always bought the shot. I thought the shot was going to be a thing. He's now still shooting really well on, on three-pointers, 42%. Still up to this point in the season, he obviously had a monster game against Temple. And sometimes we see that with prospects. They have like these really outlier games that carry their stats for a little bit if they go through a rough patch. But in Jairus's case, he hasn't really had that big of a rough patch from three-point range. Matter of fact, that now you look at the numbers today, he's exactly where we would want him to be as this stretch four, this, this really interesting mismatch face-up type of five. He's where we want him to be as far as shooting the basketball. So you check that box off. And then you start to look at all the other boxes you can you could check that we knew were there. We knew he's going to be a rebounder. We know he's going to be a finisher down low. He runs the floor incredibly hard. His defensive versatility, that man's instincts, right? His instincts and his quick twitch ability to make a play on the ball or come over, help defense, poke a ball away, block a shot. He is so impactful on both ends. I wanted to see more of his game come together to get to this point before I just jump to the group think point where, yeah, we're talking every day about how high everybody has Jairus. Well, just because we're talking about that every day doesn't mean that I need to be in that same group, right? right? I need to come to that conclusion myself. So when I saw him in person yesterday, Rucker hit his size and speed combination is absolutely unfair. Like he, he is a mountain of a man 
and he moves out there like a wing. Like there was one possession I could think of in particular that Corey and I kind of just like looked at each other with like our jaws dropped when he, a ball poked free. He was able to run after it in transition. He was sprint full speed down the court, beating anyone else. And then he was able to get that transition bucket. Like I did not realize he could get to that speed accelerating and then actually get out and transition and finish that type of a play like that, along with how he moves in the half court, how he covers so much ground, how no one can seem to score on him. I looked this up and I, I mentioned it in the group chat the, this morning when we were talking about some of the offensive synergy numbers were a, a little lagging behind, but then you look at where he's at defensively. He's every single possession he's been involved in defensively that results in a field goal attempt. Guys are shooting 28% against him. So what really can't he do right. at this point? What hasn't he shown that he's able to do on the basketball court, right? He, he doesn't have the best post-up game right now. I think that's fine. He's more of a face-up guy. I think that's going to work in the modern NBA. I don't know how much I want him dribbling and putting the ball on the deck, like every single trip down the floor. But like at the end of the day, when we look at what his role is probably going to be in the NBA and everything else he brings to the table, that that's small potatoes for me. So I think just his overall package that seems so certain as to what he's going to be able to bring to the table, along with some of the uncertainty around other prospects near the top of the draft. That's what's putting me back in the, all right, Jairus Walker needs to be much higher than I initially anticipated. I've finally gotten there and I'm able to come to my own conclusion that he's probably a top three prospect in the draft. And I love how you phrase that towards the end, because I think a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people were like, hey, we've, we've always been believing in Jairus Walker. Like I'm talking about individuals. They're like, oh, you know, I've always been high on Jairus Walker. I've always been. There's a lot of no, no ceilings guys that were like preseason top three. <laughs> like Corey was hammering that. Tyler Metcalf, we got to give him their flowers. And I think now it's, it's you brought up a great point right there with that last sentence of saying like, there's a lot of questions with the top guys. Like the, the Thompson twins, we love them. We're very excited about them. There's questions. Brandon Miller superstar potential questions. Jairus Walker, I think is getting all this love right now because he might be one of the safest guys when you get out of Scoot and Victor. I mean, you're talking about a guy, I know uh, Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated was with Albert and Corey on the draft hack. And he was like, it's becoming one of the easiest evaluations because there's a, a role for J Jairus Walker at the next level where yep. even if the shot doesn't come around to be a 40% for each season, he has so much in his versatility and his game that he just seems like he's going to be a safe prospect. Do you, do you agree with that? Is that why you're kind of seeing him potentially go higher and, and how high do you think he goes? I mean, do you, I know you say you have him third on your board now. Do you think he could end up being the third overall pick? I don't know if I'm he throwing goes you third. on the spot. I'm throwing I, you I on the you spot. Are. I know you are, <laughs> but, I, but I, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't know if he goes third. I think mm -hmm. at the end of the day, somebody's going to still fall in love with the Thompson twins. Cam right. Whitmore is still going to be near the top. Brandon Miller. I think Nick Smith is still, he, he's, he's going to climb back into the conversation. I think everybody's just forgetting about him a little bit, but if he yes. really comes back over the next week or so, like how he could possibly for Arkansas and he starts generating some buzz that there are some guys still at the top that could challenge for that spot. But just for my money, I think how you put it, the, the safety of what I'm seeing his floor as and what he can bring to the table. We, we need a better word than safe. I feel so like dirty using the word safe all the time when it comes to a prospect. We, yes. we need a better word. But 
that being said, that that is the feeling I get when I watch Jarrett. So I like the the first thing that we talk about with prospects. And it's not everything, but there is a certain baseline you need to hit from a physicality standpoint and from an athleticism standpoint. He, he like triple checks those boxes. And then you break out a lot of the stuff when it comes to the skill. We, we had questions about the jump shot. Check. He can hit a runner in the lane. Check. He can, he can pull up off the dribble. He can finish in transition. He's uh, 21 dunks on the season, right? Like we, we know what he can do. And then you throw in all the different things he can do defensively. The, the number of boxes I think that he checks is really what's selling a lot of scouts at the end of the day, right? How many prospects near the top of the draft can do as many different things as he can and has clear examples on the film of him doing all of those things? We, we talk about imagination land, right? And, and, and us imagining what's it going to take for these guys to go higher than maybe they've been talked about up to this point. But when you start imagining all of these different things coming together for Jairus versus what it's like to imagine certain parts of other prospects games that have to come together, it's just a much better picture for me to be able to make a bet on at the end of the day with Jairus. I completely agree. Um, all right. February, it's February 6th when we're recording this. I'm going to tell you right now, you got to give me an over under on where Jairus Walker gets drafted. So I'm going to put it at five and a half. Is he going top five or is he going outside the top five and we're all going to judge this for years and years to come so you you can't you have to make the right pick february 6th over under i'm gonna say i'm gonna say under five and a half i I think there's i think there's still gonna be skeptics at the end of the day and we're all gonna be sitting back like damn he should have went higher and we're gonna be sitting back in the nba it's gonna be like december january early february rolls around next nba year we're gonna be like yep he probably should have went higher than, than where he went in the draft, but that's... Oh, so you're, we, we, you're saying he's going outside the top five? I think he's going outside the top five. Okay, when so I that's say, over. That's over. That, it's okay. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. We, we, it's okay. I, I understand why you lose money gambling now. No, I, 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 I can't do math today. I, I've played with too many numbers doing, doing my finance role at my day job, but... It's okay. It's okay. But so, he, yeah, he, over. I think he goes outside the top five. I need your help now. So I need you to talk to me about Bryce Sensabaugh. Um, oh and for everyone listening, Ohio State wing, just a bucket. He's an absolute bucket machine. Freshman, um, what is he, around 6'6", 230, off the top of my head, I'm trying to say. But he's big boy, and, and he's stocky, but he is a tough shot maker. And I know you've been hammering home this to the, the group chat. You've been a fan I feel like you were pushing this and I was like, okay, Nathan, finally I will get around and start watching some sense of all film. And I'm really intrigued. Um, you've had the opportunity to go see him in person when they played North Carolina, correct? Yep. At Madison yeah, so, Garden, yep. So talk to me about sense ball. Sell me on him. Like to, I need to buy in, give me the imagination to be buying in on Bryce sense earlier in the lottery, because there is a lot of people out there. I know you brought up Chuck and, Guys have brought up like, hey, Sensible's a top 10 guy. And we always say it, no ceilings. Like we love everyone's opinion. We respect it. But help me see that that path. I want to see that path. How can I not see it right now, Nathan? What am I struggling with? So Bryce is exactly why I think we labeled the podcast title like we did. I know you have yes. a couple guys who are going to fit that bill as well. But with Bryce, you, you do have to use a little bit of an imagination to get yourself into, can he be a top 10 prospect? Because there are clear deficiencies to his game right? He has not been a great passer. 
He has not been a great defender. Hasn't even been a good defender. I'd say he's probably below average defensively. So those are those are two important characteristics to what you need to be as an NBA player nowadays, right? A lot of quick ball movement, a lot of quick stuff going on in the half court. You need to be able to cover ground, to cover multiple positions defensively. And if you're not processing the game at the speed in which you need to in those two areas, you better be doing something else that is absolutely much better than what other people are bringing to the table. And thankfully for Bryce, he does that with not only his scoring, but really in particular his shooting, right? He rates out in the 93rd percentile offensively on synergy for a reason. This man shoots the cover off the ball. He has continued to shoot the cover off the ball, 50% from the field, 47% from three point range, 81% from the line. How many prospects are we able to evaluate? And they're, they're crossing those thresholds as far as shooting percentages. And it's not just he's making all of these open catch and shoot type shots because he certainly is. But in in the small example we have of him shooting off movement, right? He, He hasn't taken a lot of shots off movement, but in the shots that he has, he's made almost all of them. He certainly creates a lot of his own shots in the mid range. He even creates his own shots from three point range when he's been able to get downhill. And when he gets to the rim, He's been able to finish at the basket. So he has shown the ability to score from all three levels and arguably the most important level in today's game, unless you are a superstar of superstars who's handling the ball all the time and you need to put the downhill pressure on the rim is the three point line. And he is excelling at both making shots that are created for him and also creating those own looks for himself. So when you have that type of offensive weapon, you cannot, you cannot undersell the impact that that can bring for an NBA team, right? You might look at him as an offensive specialist, but at the end of the day, what's the most important thing going on in the NBA right now? They're looking for guys who can put the ball in the basket. I know right. that defense wins championships. I know that at the end of the day, you have to defend to a certain level, but I, I'm watching NBA games, Rucker, and I'm curious because you watch a lot of NBA too. You're a Celtics fan, so you, you get plenty of NBA basketball in. The, the trend is absolutely swinging more at, at the offensive side of the pendulum. It's, oh, yeah. it's clearly just going that way. If you can't score the ball in the half court, NBA teams are not as anxious to play you nowadays. You need to be able to do that. You need to be able to space the floor. And with Bryce, he's giving you that in spades. So when we talk about offense, he's doing things that not a lot of other prospects are. He's doing it at such a ridiculous level where I think it covers up for some of the other deficiencies. I said this to Corey yesterday when him and I were, were sitting there talking and he, he greenlit this take for, for me. It's like, Nate, this is a great take. You got to get this out somewhere. So I'll get it out on the podcast. Bryce Sensabaugh is the opera and Shengun of this draft. Oh gosh. I'm going to throw my desk out the window. <laughs> Just, just think about it though. So Shengun, obviously Bryce is Bryce isn't passing the ball like Shengun. That's not where I'm going with that okay. take. But Shengun was coming into the draft this ridiculously gifted offensive center, right? He was known for right. one side of the ball, but that level of impact that he brought, everyone was looking at him and go, "Yeah, he might have some of these other deficiencies, but you cannot undersell what he's doing." on offense. You cannot let those things take away from the impact that he might have that could very well be star level impact when he gets to the NBA. Now in his second year, we're seeing that from Shen Goon, right? We're seeing that star potential offensively, despite some of the other deficiencies. I think there's a, there's a pretty decent chance that you could see that 
from Bryce Sensabaugh, in which case that unique type of player, why would I not take him inside the top 10 is really what I'm coming back to. Usually Rucker, those unique players, those are the guys that generally work out ironically more often than not when they're like really unique and we just haven't seen a guy like him. We have not seen a six, six, 235 pound guy score and shoot the cover off the ball. Like he can, he's so unique. And I would just, I would just feel more comfortable betting on that and that gifted skill set offensively than some of the other guys who we may look at. Yeah. They could have more two way potential, but they may not get to the same high level outcome offensively that Bryce can. I completely agree. And it's first, you know, the Shangun and Bryce sensible. I never thought we were ever going to get those two in the same <laughs> sentence. So shout out to you and Corey that almost literally gave me a stroke, but <laughs> it, it, you can have all the questions you want about Bryce sensible. You can have the hesitations, the doubts, but what he's doing this year as a freshman, you know, he's, he's, I'm looking at his game log. He's started, They've played 23 games. He's come off the bench 10 times. He has one game this year in which he fit. He finished with less than double-digit scoring. Yeah. One game. It was against Duke. He played 14 minutes. He went two for six from the field, finished with four points. Every other game, he's finished double-digit scoring. And as you said before, his shooting splits are 50, 46, 80. And um, now it's getting to the point where he's still he's still putting up numbers and producing even when – the biggest area to me defensively that he falls short in is he does not position himself well on that side of the ball. He gets in foul trouble way more than I'd like to see. But even when he's in these games where he's racking up four or even five fouls and fouling out, he's still getting 17, 18, 20 plus points per game. And it's pretty ridiculous to see. Right. And and I think you've seen the, the necessary parts of his game grow this year. Like we were, Early in the year, we're like, okay, he can score. What else can he do? Then he started passing a little bit more. Yep. And we're like, okay, showing some showcasing some of that stuff. And I think what you bring up about the unique players, like everyone's gonna be like, oh, there's guys that can score that are always coming every draft class. Yes, but unique players, as as Nathan's saying, stick around. They they also give teams the idea because we're talking imagination land right here. <laughs> they give teams the idea of like, hey, we get this guy on our team he might give us an advantage compared to every other team. And I'm not saying you can't find Bryce Sensible in later draft classes or stuff like that. Like, I still think he gives me the TJ Warren vibes where it's just like, mm-hmm. you could think you are smothering Bryce Sensible as a defender and he's fine with it. Like he's a tough shot maker and I believe that's a skill. So I'm going to put you on the spot again, Nathan, give me a number. You're, you're a GM of a team. Bryce Sensible is on the board. What would be too rich for your taste or, or how high do you think you could see him going? I can't take him inside the top five. I can't do okay. that. The, the, that to me, Proud that's a little ridiculous, but like back, back end of the top 10 late lottery. A- a- absolutely. When, when you start to look at some of the other names that are going to be in that range, you, you mentioned the tough shot making. That's a thing where some of us in no ceilings have had criticisms about that part of his game. Is it a major red flag to you, the fact that a lot of his shots that he are making are contested pull-up looks, right? That he's not able to create that level of separation at the college game. And when we do see that, that usually doesn't get better in the NBA. He's got a little bit of shake when he's facing somebody up, but if you put the right defender on him, he will settle for that contested pull-up shot. And he's not, he's not always looking to pass the ball out. He wants to take that shot. 
Is that a red flag for you and probably why you've been a little hesitant to maybe skyrocket him as high as some other guys have on, on draft Twitter or other circles? I, I'm a big believer of every prospect. You could find a question. Like you, you can find a question that you have to solve about every prospect where it comes to red flags, potentially like even Victor women, Yama, we could be like, okay, what could it be more efficient from outside? Or is the frame going to hold up? You know, Scoot Henderson is, is the outside shot going to be legit and keep going the right direction? Like stuff like that. You can always find a question. So with sensible, it's my, my question always was shooters and guys that are tough shot makers is if the shots not falling, what are you doing? And I, he has questions everywhere else where they're a little alarming to me where I'm like, okay, if your shot's not falling, how are you staying on the court? And I think that's the only thing that I keep circling back to because yes, the, the lack of separation can worry me, but numbers will shut me up quick. Like if you're shooting 50, 40, 80 and your lack of separation while you're averaging 17 a game, that'll shut me up. That'll make me feel a little bit better. But you know, there's always questions about these guys like Tyrese Halliburton. Everyone was worried about the shot. Does it take too long? He looks like he's pretty mm-hmm. good right now in the NBA. There's always going to be questions. And, you know, Malachi Branham last year was a guy that me and you both, I think, were in love with towards the end of the draft cycle. You were higher on him early. And that kind of had- impact, though, I think that's a great that's a great type of com- yeah. not, not like one to one as prospects, but like that type of impact. Right. Like one of the arguments I made for Malachi Brandon, why I would have taken him like seven, eight, nine, whatever in the draft last year. Right. Was if he's maybe he's not your first or your second option on an NBA team, but yes. if he's your third, fourth option and he's able to just burn you for 20 plus on any given night, boy, would an NBA team like every, every NBA team would love to be able to have that guy to either have in your starting lineup next to other stars are be able to bring off your bench as one of the first guys like, Hey, you think you have us figured out. We're going to bring in this great ball of fire. Who's Bryce Sensabaugh, who can be a 50, 40, 80 player on any given night, probably at the end of the day, more nights than not, just given the better level of talent he's going to be playing next to in the NBA, right? You can't, you can't go into an NBA game, especially in his rookie year and game plan. Like, yeah, we're going to throw a bunch of doubles at Bryce Sensabaugh, right? Like that, that's not what you're going to do for a rookie. No NBA team's doing that, but he might end up getting that level of attention, which is, it's crazy to think about for a rookie, but like that might quite literally be the only way that you can stop him because in in a lot of these one-on-one situations, again, these are tough contested pull-up shots, but it seems like he's hitting all of them. And there really hasn't been, to your point, you read off the box scores, there really hasn't been a good way to quote-unquote shut him down. And I'm not sure, again, given where the NBA is going as far as being offensive driven and the amount of spacing, the amount of ground defenders have to cover for 48 minutes a night, I'm not sure that a lot of those shots, especially the open ones, are going to be taken away from him. I think he's going to continue to get opportunities at the NBA level, and we've already seen what he can do knocking down open open shots at Ohio State, right? It's, it's money in the bank every single night, and I think that's that's a lot of what could happen at the NBA. And I think you bring up a good point is people also have to realize, you know, we're talking right now. We're like, people might go, Hey, Bryce sensible top 10, you guys are crazy. And it's like, well, you have to also understand it could be a different world with, with teams are picking in the top 10. Yeah. What if all of a sudden golden States up there and you know, they get this idea of like, Hey, Bryce sensible will have some separation or have some room to operate with uh, our rotation coming off the bench. If he could just come in and, and get buckets, do what he does best because teams are also targeting guys around that area where they're saying, 
We want guys where their elite skill can help us. And yep. Bryce Sensabaugh can score. And you brought up a good point earlier. Like the NBA this year, it has been absurd how much scoring is going on. I mean, I think I think I saw a stat that there's more 50-point games this year than in the first half of the season than last year combined. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like it, it, Everyone's too skilled. Everyone's too skilled. Yes. Everyone's too good of a shooter. You can't cover that much ground for that long in a game, especially when every single guy the ball's being swung around to, these guys who are playing 25, 30-plus minutes a night, they can all break somebody down off the dribble right. and, and create their own shot, which, oh, by the way, Bryce fits into that perfectly. He, he that That's the exact mold he fits into. And that's why teams might start loving Sensible as a prospect because yeah. they're going to be like, hey, we need offense. This guy's the most efficient at doing it, and he can shoot the crap out of the ball. We'll figure out everything else. And you know what? Teams are going to be deep enough where if you're Golden State and you hypothetically draft Bryce Sensible and he's having a rough night shooting, guess what? You're going to have a roster deep enough to pick somebody else in. Is say, Bryce, you don't have it tonight. Let's get somebody else. And that's what those teams want. They want the specialists that could all of a sudden, like you said earlier, you look up and you're like, Sensible's got 20 in 10 minutes. Like just, you never know. So here, here, here's the range of teams right now. Tankathon today, uh -huh. right now, six to 10. Indiana Pacers, Toronto Raptors, the Wizards, the Pelicans via the Lakers, and then the Thunder. Out of those five teams, you're telling me none of those teams could use a Bryce Sensabaugh? Like, come on. that right. That's really what we're talking about at the end of the day. So, I love it. And the funniest thing is I looked at all those teams and I was like, they would all take them probably. Like, all and I'm not saying just like we're imagination land folks. We're, we're, we're getting creative. We're trying to think of the curveballs, and it's not ridiculous. OKC could say, Hey, we need a, we've got some nice pieces. We need a guy that could just come in and get on fire. You know, we're getting Chet back next year. We got Lou Dort. We got Giddy. We got SGA. We need a guy just could, get crazy hot from outside Out, outside of when the Pelicans are actually complete and fully healthy. One of those teams are blowing you away in the half court offensively, right? Like Indiana is a transition up and down team, Toronto. We know about their half court struggles and yeah, we don't know what they're going to do with their lineup. They could blow the whole team up by the time this podcast comes out. Who, who knows? But the, the, the wizards, like, right. Like these teams aren't blowing you away offensively in the half court and that's Bryce's bread and butter. So right. When we talk about prospects and, and fits and situationally dependent, these are the types of questions that we're asking when we're making a mock draft, when we're having these discussions as far as big boards go with no ceilings. This is what we're looking at, and we have to identify the talents that, that fit those types of molds and answer those questions team by team. And Bryce, Bryce seems to answer more questions for NBA teams than he doesn't answer questions. So that's why maybe we got to take him seriously this high in the draft. Okay. You're you're you've sold me. All right, let's go to the next guy because you you wanted to talk about Bryce. I wanted to talk about this guy. So Rain Rupert, um, for everyone listening that's not familiar, French prospect playing with the New Zealand Breakers this year in the NBL in Australia. He's a name that's starting to really heat up. We we're talking six seven wing with a reported seven three wingspan. He's not just the classic three and D upside defensive specialist with the shot that's developing. There's some legit tools. So talk to me. You, you said you needed to kind of watch a little bit more film and then you got on here and you're like, Oh no, I crammed it in. I, I, I got some film in me. So let me hear your thoughts. Um, I want to, I want to see where you're at with Mr. Rupert. 
when we use the term imagination land for yes. titling this podcast, and we talk about either either coming up with prospects who we think should be taken higher than where they're currently projected and what's the imagination that goes into choosing them or guys who aren't projected to go in the lottery who we think should be considered in lottery range repair absolutely fits the bill right mm -hmm. here because i'm i'm struggling with getting him up towards the lottery i right. I, I get the identification of him as like a top 25 talent like i i get it the tools are freakish he is a a massive human being playing on the wing like I, I i watched the game tape and i'm like holy crap this man's this man's like if mikhail bridges and, and the slender man had a baby like that's, that's like that's like one. i like that, that. <laughs> that's like where ryan repair is on uh, uh ryan repair excuse me is on a basketball court it, it's it's pretty interesting to watch but offensively i got questions man so yep. we just got done having a conversation about what are you offensively in the half court? If you're not, if you're not shooting the ball incredibly well at all times from outside, if you're not a consistent floor spacer, and if your team's not designing more ways to get you involved or incorporated in the half court offensively, like running you off screens or using you maybe as like an inverted pick and roll kind of guy or using you as sort of like, if you aren't running all these creative ways to get him going downhill towards the basket, and you're relying on him to be a spot-up guy, which is what New Zealand actually relies on him to do, but he's not always shooting the cover off the ball. What What is your appeal going to look like when we're going back and watching the film? Like, what? why do I need to prioritize drafting you as high as some people may say? And that's when you have to really buy into the imagination aspect of this, and you need to look at the, the Melbourne game that New Zealand just played a, a few games ago, and you see him making a, a, a tough contested pull-up shot in the mid-range near the foul line, or you see him on these half-court drives, or you see him out in transition, these really long strides that he has getting downhill towards the basket. And when you start to piece some of those things together, if you can get that more consistently, you can talk yourself into it a little bit, but I'm nowhere near buying that those things are going to be able to translate within his first year in the NBA, maybe not even his second year in the NBA. So I'm curious as to where you sit, especially given that you wrote that detailed piece for no ceilings. You're kind of trying to tell everyone, get on the repair train sooner rather than later. Why, why are you throwing him into this conversation of, yeah, we need to be talking about him higher. He's the, like I, I talked about this with, with Metcalf, I I was, or I'm sorry, with Nick on uh, deep dives. And I said, I, I've always been waiting for the next international guy. Like everyone has been obsessing over Victor. I was like, okay, who's going to be the next guy that cements himself and starts to, you know, bang, bang the drum of like, okay, it's my turn now to get everyone's attention. And I think there's always a guy in every draft class that NBA teams are going to drool over when it comes to untapped potential, when it's mm -hmm. like, okay, this isn't the stat darling, but this is the guy that every NBA front office is drooling over. And I think Rupert has the potential to be that because you watch his games. He's, he's developing on the right path. I mean, Usman Zhang last year with the thunder goes what 11th overall off the top of my head. And yep. his, I wrote in my piece, like his stats were a nightmare in the first half of the year. Rupert is above that right now. He's, to the point where we better. didn't even want to talk about him as a prospect. In those exactly. The first we were like, Hey, he needs another year. Yeah. Um, and, and now when you watch Rupert, 
I think there's some maturity with his game of he's not forcing. Like he has a lot of games where he'll take four or five shots. Um, he just isn't, he doesn't force it. He, he allows the play to play through, but the defensive potential, the feel for the game, everything is really oozing with upside. And I think teams are going to look at him of, okay, early on, he might be a weapon defensively. He might be an inspector gadget on the defensive side of the ball. And this is, you know, we've talked about connectors, like yep. the connecting pieces should always, it should never be viewed as a negative thing. I think, Rupert has the potential to be a very impressive connecting piece early to develop into something bigger. And because of that, I think there's going to be teams that when you get some point in the lottery, they might be like, Hey, there's legit tools here to, to become a guy that's going to get a second and third contract in the NBA. And that's scary when you get to a certain point. And, and I don't know if I'm there with the top 10, but if all of a sudden he starts playing bigger minutes, and showcasing a little more, you know, but like I don't 13, think, 13, 14 range. Oh, like, absolutely. I see okay. it. I, a hundred. And especially if you're a team that has another, you know, if you have two picks in a lot of, like say Utah mm-hmm. has a second lottery pick around that range. I could see Utah jumping all over it. Um, he's just got the tools. He's got the tools that you want to be like, Hey, we're going to, you know, that's terminology of pre-draft i don't even know if it's pre-draft with him i think you just want to get him in and start developing him and let his body grow out because he's still skinny but he's so lengthy so quick and he he's speedy but he can also slow down so this is an imagination land guy this is a big imagination land i i just think teams are going to be really really intrigued with his skill set my my comp I'm curious where do you, do you have a name for him? Do you have like a good comp for him? Cause I have one. I don't know if you've used this name that I have, but I want to, I want to know what you think first. No, I don't, I don't have one. You know how I feel about comps. Everybody knows how I feel about comps. So t- hit me with it. Josh green. So it's a good so, one. So Josh green was in my opinion, much more skilled offensively coming out of Arizona than where repairs at right now. But the way the way the both of them play defense, the way that they move their hips, the the amount of ground they're able to cover, how they utilize their length to to force deflections, force turnovers, and then offensively, when you do see them put it together, when they do get those drives downhill of the basket, it's it's a little different with Rupair because he's much more of a long stride guy as opposed to like I'm quicker than a lot of guys like a Josh Green, but the way that they approach their games defensively and then how they can continue to build out offensively. The things that we want to see Josh Green get better at as he plays now with the Mavericks are the same things we want to see Repair get better at. We want to see Repair be much more of a spot-up threat. We want to see him be a better creator off the dribble. Right now, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in the half court off the dribble yet. But if more of these things come along, along with what we're going to get from him defensively on a night-to-night basis, that's like my imagination land type of comp for if Ryan Repair lurks out, works out, we're probably seeing him in that on that Josh Green type of path, which, by the way, is is looking pretty good. The Mavericks did not want to put him in, in in a deal for Kyrie Irving for a reason. He's one of these young talents who was really young in that draft. He was 18 on draft night. I, I don't know if Rupert is going to be 18 on. I don't have his birth his birthday in front of me. He's 18 right now. I don't know if he's going to be 18 on draft night. But either way, even if he's turning 19 at some point here shortly before the draft he's still going to be one of the younger guys in this class. So that's that's like my type of comp, my type of pathway for him as a prospect. 
And I thought that Josh Green was a lottery pick that year. So yes. if if I do see if I if I am able to buy myself into that line of thinking, then maybe I also need to come up on repair a little bit, get a little bit more imaginative and say, if Josh Green could make it work up to this point after needing a little bit of time, but he could get here, why can't repair get to that same place if you give him that amount of time? I was right there with you with Josh Green. And I also thought he just needed a couple of years and, and, and fan bases, fans, um, draft fanatics. We always wanted the results to happen right away. And yep. a lot of guys is it, it's one of the golden rules of scouting is wait three years, wait three years, reevaluate. I think Josh green is turning into a really interesting piece for the Mavericks. And, you know, repair is going to be in that mix. And I think I don't put this name around. Like he has the type of, tools to down the road become sort of a Michael Bridges, but he's got a long way to go, but sure. it's just because of the length, the, the quickness he has with his feet, the instincts, there's a lot of stuff, but that's also like the shot needs to come around. It needs to be more consistent. He needs to develop a little bit of a mid range game. He's shown flashes right now, right? It's just how quick does everything come together? And can he land with a team that will allow that to to blossom? But bingo, because do, do you think he can get on the floor in the NBA in year one? Like I I I don't think he can play consistent minutes in the NBA year one. I think he's going to be a year two and beyond guy that he's going to need some time, and maybe that scares some teams away from drafting him that high. Maybe that's why he could go later than maybe we're talking about right now and in imagination land. But that's that's kind of where I sit with him. I offensively where the league is at right now. I don't see him being able to hit that type of bar to get consistent minutes. If we're talking about like March, April, maybe he's playing like 12, 14, 16 minutes a night. Cause it's later in the season. Teams might not have the same things to play for fine, but I like November, December, January. I don't know if I see him holding on to a consistent role in the NBA in year one. Yeah. It, it would defend it. Obviously it always comes down to the fit. Like Shaden right. Sharp with Portland's in a great situation where they inject them in 12 minutes some nights and play, you know, get his confidence rolling after he makes a couple buckets and get him out, leave him feeling good. So yeah. if you go to a team like that, where he can almost be a rotation, like specialist, like focus on the defense, mm -hmm. we need you to play good defense and down the road, everything will work out. Absolutely. But if he also went to a team that could afford to play him, like the thunder are always outstanding because they just will let the young yep. guys learn. They will play them and let them learn. And guys need reps and, He's got to be I, I, around people who aren't going to roll their eyes when he goes yes. one of eight from the floor, right? Yes. So you, you know what he's on the floor for. You can't you can't demotivate him or, or roll your eyes when he's shooting zero for eight or two for ten is what he shot in, in probably his his poorest game since he came back from that injury here in January. You can't you you got to let him get past those nights and look at what can he do on the floor versus what he can't. Yes, um, but but but. I could see it. I also think like everyone's going to read the G League tag is a bad idea, but I think this is a guy, he just need reps. And I think with the second half of the NBL, I think he's going to get more reps and more playing time. But, you know, the difference between he's playing on a team that's really, you know, they're contending. They're trying to make a run. So he might not get these extended minutes, but yep. They're playing him big minute. They're playing him in crucial minutes because of what he could do on the court. And he's just not a guy that comes in right away and he's like, I gotta shoot. He he trusts to play within the system. He picks his spots. So we'll see. But um you gotta And talk there is there is no other wing, I don't think, who can defend like him 
in this draft outside of maybe the Thompson twins, if they're like 100%, it fully works out locked in and engaged, right? Like that, that's kind of how I felt about Josh green when he came out, like there wasn't a better wing defender in that class to me than Josh green. I feel the same way about repair. Cause like, yeah, sure. The Thompson twins, but we, we don't know if that's definitely going to work out. So. And, and I think everyone listening, when you're, when you're evaluating a class, you got to focus in on that stuff too. And it's a really important with the draft yeah. class. Cause like we could, you could say like, Hey, repair is 25th on my board repair. I have them 32. And it's like, okay, well, if a team wants a defensive specialist, like start ranking them, like start ranking them by skills. Like Bry- Bryce Sensible, we just talked about, I, we did the Frankenstein podcast, me and Metcalf. And we were talking about on ball scorers. Like he's like, Hey, when you start breaking it down like that, Sensible might be at the top of the list with, with on ball yeah. scoring. So it's just like, you have to also understand, like we always say draft bass player available. But these front offices are going to get to a point where we're like, hey, we need this. Yep. You know, and it's not drafting entirely for need, but they're saying like, hey, we need this area. If we're cu- if we have two guys we're deciding between and we really, really need offensive output. And Bryce Sensible is one of those guys, they might say, Hey, but Sensible, his best skill is something we desperately need. Yep. So we like both of these guys, but Sensible gets the edge. It's just it's a lot of strategy too when it comes to skill set and what teams are looking for. But another guy I love that I want to hear your thoughts of. We haven't talked too much about him, but Mr. Jalen Hood Shafino. I want to hear what Nathan Grubel believes of the Indiana freshman because I've seen some stuff this week that's got me a little intrigued at some of the narrative about Jalen Hood Shafino. You know, um, I think this guy is a top 20 prospect. I believe. He's shown enough good this year that absolutely he should be declared. He should be potentially in the conversation for the lottery. Um, I thought he was great in that Purdue game. He didn't force a lot of stuff. He made some big shots, including that drive down the end that kind of almost put the nail in the coffin. What are your thoughts, Nathan, about Mr. Hood Shafino? Jalen Hood Shafino's had some of the best games for a guard prospect in this draft class this year. He's also had some of the worst games for a guard prospect in this draft class this year. Yes. And I think that's that's the narrative that enough people have put out there besides myself, but th- there's not really too many other narratives to take. It's just the inconsistency as to why he hasn't been a surefire. Like, yeah, we're going to have him in the top 20 or his, his talent some nights. You, you watch that Ohio State game where he went for 24 points and he was just right. hitting every pull-up shot he looked at. You look at that game and go, why isn't he in the lottery conversation? Why are we not talking about him? as one of the best guards in this draft class outside of Scoot Henderson. Why is he not there? It's It's been a bumpy ride, but I think at the end of the day, if we focus on, again, what can he do versus what can't he do, yes. there is a lot that he's showing he can do. I, I buy the jump shot. I bought the jump shot preseason. I'm, I'm buying it now. I'm buying all the pick and roll crap that he's showing. He he is a good scorer out of the pick and roll. He can make plenty of passes outside of the pick and roll in the half court as well. He can get you the hit ahead passes in transition. He is a playmaker and a scorer wrapped into one at six, six with legit length. You talk about athleticism and tools. He has those things defensively. He's been inconsistent to say the least. He, I, I expected him to be a much better defender, especially the way that, that Maxwell was talking him up before the season started. I think that will come in time. But if we stay more focused on the offensive side of the ball with what we've seen from him in his best games, 
that's what every NBA team's looking for in a primary ball handler, isn't it? That's that's the type of not just a connector piece, but we can we can funnel this guy X amount of pick and roll sets in a game. And chances are, whether it's a, a, a shot by him or a pass to a shot out of it, the points per possession on that play type are probably going to end up more off in our favor more often than not. And that's kind of what I'm looking at with Jalen Hochefino. I'm willing to live with the bad because there's bad for every prospect. But if I'm getting someone who I believe the good's going to be there more than the bad, I'm going to take the guy who's giving me the positives that are outweighing the negatives. And when you look at what those positives are, which are essential to running an NBA offense in, in, in today's league, I'm going to bet on a guy like that, which would be Jalen Hutchfino. And that's that to me is really the the selling point. The, the, the imagination part of it that needs to come in is, well, he can do some of these things, but is he that level of athlete or is he that level of shot maker? Like I, I think a popular preseason comparison for him was, can he be like a Tyrese Halliburton type of player? Well, as Tyrese is showing us this year, that's a lofty freaking ceiling to be able to hit. So you can imagine that if you can imagine that he can get to that type of a ceiling, then yeah. Why are we talking about him as like a guy 25 to 30? He needs to be up in the lottery, possibly even the top 10 that's where some of your imagine comes into play. Now, now is your imagination playing tricks on you? Does he have, is that like a false ceiling for him? Like where, where are you kind of at with, with Jalen Huchifino's ceiling as far as, yeah, he's shown you some things, but just how good can he be in those particular areas? He's just, you know, he's had the ups and downs and you look at his numbers and he's averaging 12.5 points, four rebounds, 4.3 assists with shooting splits of 42, 41. Um, and it's just when he's on, he's cooking, he can take over a game. He's absolutely like, even the Iowa game was absolutely awesome. Yep. Um, you see the playmaking flashes where he could throw some passes. You're just like, Oh my goodness. And he had the back injury this year, which is always scary. He missed a little bit of time and then came back. And, um, I think Xavier Johnson got hurt when they were playing Kansas and then Hutchfino just started taking over. He had a nine-game stretch where he was averaging 16 points a game um, with 4.2 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and shooting splits of 50 and 52.9% from three. I'm buying the shot. I'm right there with you. Um, I just – his feel for the game at 6'6 is fantastic. I mean, yep, they're, they're completely different guys, but he gives me like Jalen Brunson vibes with just how he's always poised and will get to his mm-hmm. spots and not rush it. And um, just that Purdue game, he just – I kept waiting. Like he was having a solid game, but I kept waiting for him to kind of be a little bit more aggressive, more assertive. And then all of a sudden he just had some aggressive, you know, drives, a couple pull-ups, and it was in a tight game. Like they needed every bucket he hit. And it was like, okay, like – you know, Trace Jackson Davis was taking over that game and then Hutchfina was like, let me, you know, all right, if you're going to give me this elbow jumper, I'm taking it. And I I just think this is a guy that I think every team wants this. You talked earlier about unique guys. I think Jalen Hutchfina with what he can do, his strengths at 6'6", six, six, is a unique guy. You know, yeah. this is the Sean Livingston effect for the old golden state warriors, where it was just like, Hey, this guy knows what he does good on the court. He plays under control with poise. He doesn't get rushed or sped up. And that it's really interesting. You brought up the defensive stuff because that's where I always go back to like, okay, how banged up is hood Shafino this year? Because his high school film Maxwell was hammering 
him as a prospect. Nasty I mean, defender. It, in high it was driving us crazy how much Maxwell was constantly talking about Jalen Hutchifino. And then when I watched his film, I was like, this dude is nasty defensively. Yep. So I'm wondering if he's been playing a little banged up and that might make some sense for, you know, all of a sudden he has two games where he has two points, six points. Then he has a 24 point against Ohio state. Then a three point against Maryland, then 16 against Purdue. So it's like, we just need the consistency. And I think if he has another solid stretch of consistent performances, maybe that's around the March madness. I think that's when Huchifino will just cement himself as like, I am a, top 20 guy in this class. There's no me returning from my sophomore year. I am a one and done. And I love Hoosiers fans, but I think they're starting to realize that too. Not, not to bring everything back to the offensive side of the ball. And everybody listening to this podcast can be like, Nate, do you even watch defense? Like dude, yeah. is all you care about getting buckets? Like what kind, what kind of evaluator Metcalf's are you? our defensive guy. We don't need right. to talk about defense all the time. Metcalf gets that. Good. Honor. Good. So I can, I can balance, I can balance yes. out the podcast feed. That's fine. Okay. So you mentioned, is he playing a little too banged up? I think that that sort of took shape in the turnover game, right? So everybody wanted to bang on Jalen Huchifino, and people are still banging on him about he's been a little bit of a turnover machine with the ball in his hands. And it's it's not just that he's making mistakes and he's dribbling the ball off his foot or like doing dumb things, right? He was committing a lot of live ball turnovers first half of the year. We look over the last eight games, he's averaging just over two turnovers a game, which given how much the ball is actually in his hands, the number of minutes he's playing, along with the number of shots that he's taking, I'm fine with the turnovers being about two a game. So he has yes. he has cleaned up that aspect of his game since he came back from a lot of what he was dealing with injury-wise. So I love that. And then the other thing that we talk about is, I know that we fall in love with the three-point shot. We, we need guys on an NBA floor who can space it, who can shoot it with regularity and consistency. But you and I have talked about this on episodes, especially last year with like a lot of the Johnny Davis stuff and then some of the other guys that we evaluated in that draft class. We love when guys can get buckets also inside the arc and they don't rely on that three-point shot. Yes. we You were talking about the Purdue game. He was 8 of 14 on two-point shots, only took one three-pointer in that game. He lived inside the arc, and he was efficient doing it. He is able to get buckets in a variety of ways, and it's not just camping outside the three-point line. He's proven he's a 41% three-point shooter on the year. He's proven he can do that, but he's proving much more inside the arc, especially since he's come back from some of those back issues that he was dealing with as he's getting more of that athleticism back, as he's much more acclimated with his teammates. He's learning how to play off guys like Trace Jackson Davis and Malik Renault. He is much more comfortable doing things that I think will – better serve him in the NBA game than just him trying to prove every single trip down the floor. I need to knock down this three point shot or else my draft stock's going to tank. Yes. I right there with you. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about another guy that I feel like me and you threw into this conversation a little late because we want to sort of pick our, our brains and see where we're at. But Taylor Hendricks been on fire this year when it talked, when you were talking about a guy that's just storming, up boards. I think a lot of people are getting interested. You know, you're talking six nine forward freshman at um UCF just continues to you know chip away, have solid performances. He's playing mm-hmm. good, he's playing good against tough teams. Um I, I, I'm just intrigued. I think this is a guy people were early in the year being like, Okay, he's impressing. Maybe this is a sophomore breakout and this is the time of the year where we start to realize like, no, 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 this isn't a sophomore breakout. It looks like this might be a guy that's a, 
trending towards the top 20. So where are you at with Taylor Hendricks? How are we feeling about him? Is is there an imagination in which Taylor Hendricks, we know Kevin O'Connor has the imagination land down when he had him at top 10, but are you thinking there's a potential for him to be a lottery guy? It's tough, Nathan. I'm right there with you. That's usually my first reaction when I look at Taylor Hendricks. I'm like, because there's some fun film with him. There's some fun stuff you see on tape, but I'm trying to figure out, is this just a tease or, you know, is this the main course? Are we, are we having a steak, Nathan, or is this just the appetizer? Uh, a medium rare steak. Medium rare steak. Everyone likes yes. to talk about it in those feelings. Um, so you, you've thrown a question at me every single time, so I'm not going to okay, let that stand. I'm going to throw yeah. one back at you because okay, there's a it. difference between I being a lottery-level prospect and being a star-level prospect, Yes, right? Somebody we can see star potential. So in the realm of imagination, I'm having a difficult time imagining him as a potential star in the NBA. Now, the numbers would look at me and say, no, you're dumb. This guy has star potential. The questions that you have maybe as to why you don't think he can get there, like is he going to be a good enough shooter off the dribble? Can he create more off the bounce? Is he is he just a play finisher offensively, or can he do a little bit more from a creation standpoint? The numbers actually suggest by synergy he can do a little bit more than we would think. He rates out in the 83rd percentile on dribble jumpers. Um, he's able to do a little bit of stuff off the bounce, getting to the basket. He's not just a play finisher, I just don't know if I'm buying it. And maybe I just need to watch more Taylor Hendricks. Maybe I just need to go see him in person, which thankfully I'll get the opportunity to do in a few weeks. Love that. Maybe that's all I need. But am I buying that he's going to do that at, at the NBA level? Can he grow into being that guy, especially considering he was so young, he was an RSCI top 50 guy, but he wasn't getting a lot of buzz. Where are you at on him? Maybe... Maybe you do view him as like he can be a lottery level guy because of just what he brings to the table. It seems like a safe projection, but do you think there's more there to where you can start justifying taking him inside the the top 10? I know I stumped you now. No, because it's a really good question. And and that's where I'm at with him. I I keep watching him and every time I'm watching him, I'm like, He's showing me everything I want to see from a guy with this trajectory. Um, you, you're 6'9", 210. He's got some athletic pop. He's got some nastiness around the basket. You know, he'll go in for tip dunks. He'll slam and try to break the backboard. His shot looks pretty smooth from outside. He, yep. can, he can get hot from out there. Um, he's shown me some good footwork. He's shown me a lot of flashes. And then, you, like you said, you look at the numbers and – on the year, he's averaging 14 and seven with almost two assists and two blocks a game with shooting splits of 47, 38, 78. So he's almost, you know, 50, 40, 80 at 6, 9. And it's like, well, what else do I want from this kid? Like, he's almost doing everything. And I think what I like too is when he has a tough game shooting. He's also impacting in other areas, which is yep. a weakness for me. I mean, when that's what I always say. Like, okay, you can't score. How else are you impacting the game? And you see games he has six points, but he has 11 rebounds and three blocks. And it's like, okay, so he's he's grinding out. And he's he's, he's, he's built to play the Jaron Jackson role in the NBA. Of yes. Like, I need to play next to a bigger body, but I can give you some of the things. Maybe not 
I don't think he's the level of athlete. And I don't think he's as, as wiggly and, and, and as spry as Jaron Jackson, but I can give you very similar production in that type of role as a four man in the NBA. And that's kind of what everybody wants in the league nowadays, right? Like everybody's looking at what Jaron Jackson's doing for the Grizzlies. They have the top rated defense in the league and you go, Oh, I, I could certainly use some of that. Why am I not valuing a guy like that? But yeah, it's just, I, I, I think I just need to watch more uh, of yes. Taylor Hendricks before I really get down the rabbit hole of why can't he be more of what I need him to be. I think I've seen games early on in the season where he's not bringing a lot to the table. He's not given a lot of opportunity to create. He is a play finisher. If he's not finishing those plays, what else is he giving you? You talked about the defense. We've seen more of that in the second half of the year. He's been one of the best weak side forward rim protectors, I think, that I've seen in all of college basketball. I just don't know if I see, again, star projection. So maybe it's more of like a philosophical question that, that you and I need to answer versus just breaking down Taylor Hendricks. At, at what point in the lottery do you feel like it's safe to shut down the star hunting conversation and move into – I just want to grab a, a guy who I think is going to be a really damn good basketball player. Like at what point does that narrative flip for you? I mean, the, the problem with Taylor is I think he might be a guy that makes the rich get richer really fast. Um, if, if the right team lands Taylor Hendricks, they might be like, Oh gosh, look what we got. You know, like yep. we just got a six, nine guy with some bounce that could shoot. Like all of a sudden we're going to have some fun and, that's where I, I like the idea that you're talking about of like a Taylor Hen I mean, I'm sorry, of a Jaron Jackson is like, yeah, maybe he's not turning into the shot blocker that Jaron Jackson is, but the idea of adding him alongside a couple more pieces, it's like that, that's the type of pick that really takes a, a team that's hungry to get going in their rebuild and takes them to the next level. Like say, Chicago goes on a little bit of a run in the second half and Orlando somehow are, you know what I'm just saying? Like a team like Orlando, if you all of a sudden it with a second lottery pick, take Taylor Hendricks to be like a, an asset that comes in and, and con, you know, compliments everybody else. Well, but what he does is so unique. Well, so let's take, so let's take sitting in number 10 right now. We, we mentioned KOC's ranking of him being number 10 on, on, on the ringer guide, but number 10 right now in the standings is Oklahoma city thunder. So a team that they may not have multiple lottery picks, but they're sitting on a lot of young talent to the point where maybe they can take a swing with one pick in a way that other teams can't. And now if you put Taylor Hendricks next to Chet Holmgren, now you could really be cooking with gas. So even if he's not hitting that, that star level ceiling, you can probably talk yourself flipping the, flipping the page a lot quicker on the narrative of, Let's just go find a really good damn, really damn good basketball player to compliment Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren and Shea, Jalen Williams. Shout out to J Dub, friend of the program. Like that, that's that. That sounds like the conversation you can start having. And everyone, I love that you said that because everyone that thinks right now, listening to that, you're like, that's way too early. It's like, well, you have to take in the situation. Yep. OKC might look at Taylor Hendricks and be like, we really like him. We really, really like him. Yes, would we prefer to potentially draft him at 14 or draft or trade down to 14? Yeah, but they showed us last year. They love Jalen Williams. They didn't give a crap where they were taking him. They were like, no, we're not going to risk losing him by trying to get cute and trade down a couple spots. This isn't the NFL draft where you just can easily trade back and, oh, we'll just add us a fifth-round pick and we'll trade back three spots. No, go get your guy. And Hendricks makes sense there. 
I mean, he really does. Like, it's just, if you believe in levels to his game waiting to get unlocked, like if Sam Presti looks at him and says, hey, he's got some serious upside for us, pairing him next to Chet, you all of a sudden get two floor spacers with size. I mean, there's there's some fun tools there. So I think that's, when you're a rebuilding team, you start looking at guys like that differently because you're like, the idea of adding this to yep. what we have developing in this organization could really, really make some excitement moving forward. And that's is, there, why, is there any type of fit that stands out to you with, with Taylor? Like if you look at any of these teams and like the standings and you're maybe like, oh, that one jumped. I, I have two. I have two fits that I really like outside of the OKC one would obviously be good. Two other fits that come to mind for me are the Portland, Portland? Trailblazers, right? So yeah, what if what if, like what if they don't, what if you. what if Jeremy Grant wants to leave or they don't want to pay him all that money and they need a four man to to step in? Well, you have Dame and Anthony able to get the ball in, in Taylor's hands and all the spots that he probably wants to be in for easy spot up looks, and then defensively, that's the type of weak side rim protection you would want next to a body like Nurkic. And then the Utah Jazz would be, oh my God, hand in glove. Could you imagine trying to score on a Taylor Hendricks and Walker Kessler front court? I'd have nightmares. How, how do you even score around the rim in that situation? Well, and that's adding depth too. I mean, you right. all of a sudden have Lori, you have Walker Kessler, you got Hendricks. Now you're really growing, and that's a Danny Ainge special. But Portland makes a lot of sense also because it's like, okay, well, you get your future shade and sharp and Taylor Hendricks. That's two fun pieces to work with. And that's where I could buy into Taylor Hendricks in the lottery is if you're, if you're really looking at him and being like, this guy could be a really nice piece. And some people will be like, that's too early for me. And I'll be like, Hey, I, I get it. Just because I'll have a guy potentially 23rd doesn't mean I don't agree with him getting drafted 13th. Um, and there are teams, there are teams are all the way running down from like six all the way down to like 20. There are a bunch of teams in there who I don't think he's a great fit. Like, I don't, I don't know if Toronto's a great fit. I don't know if Washington's a great fit. The, the, the Lakers, that's the, I mean, shoot, rookies don't play with LeBron James. So that's probably a bad fit right off the bat. Um, the, the Hawks, the Knicks, like th- there are teams that, I don't think make as much sense, but then there's that number of teams we talk about in that late lottery range where you can really talk yourself into Taylor Hendricks pretty quick, just given the pieces you already have in place. So maybe that's why you may not have Taylor Hendricks on your big board, but if you use some imagination and start to talk about fit and where the team's going, 10, 12, 13 might not be so crazy anymore. All right. One last one. I got to ask you about him because I feel like I'm I'm a big big believer of this guy and I feel you have like to sell you, me on this guy. You yeah, really I feel do. like you, you gotta sell me. Why 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 do you want to hurt me with your lack of Casein Wallace love? So let's talk about Kentucky freshman Casein Wallace before we let you go because it, this has been a great one an all timer. Why why is Nathan Grubel struggling with Mr. Wallace? What's going on? Casein Wallace to me he. There are a number of tough evaluations in this draft class, right? Like Gigi Jackson would be one. Like we can throw out names, the tough evals. Case and Wallace is a tough eval for me. It's it's different than those guys though, right? Like with a guy like Gigi, we're left asking the questions that make it tough. Like he has all of these things that we really don't think he can do right now. So maybe that's why he doesn't go as high as he could in the draft. With Case and Wallace, no, he can do a lot of different things. 
he's one of the most skilled guards that we have in this draft class. He defends the living hell out of the ball. He's the, by far the best guard defender we have in this entire class. But he just he just doesn't have that dog in him offensively, man. And that's that's where I'm seeing more of the puzzle fall apart for me. So if we talk about taking Case of Wallace 7, 8, 9, 10, and, and we get up in that range, I just don't feel the impact from him offensively on a night-to-night basis as much as I feel like I should, given the skills we know he possesses. We, we've seen him finish at a really high level around the basket. The numbers would absolutely point to that. He, he absolutely has a floater game when he gets two feet in the paint. He can knock down open three-point shots. He can pull up inside the arc. He can pass out of pick-and-roll sets. It's not the most advanced stuff, but he can make basic reads when he needs to. There's all these different things that he can do. We just don't see him take over games offensively the way that I would want him to for me to be like, yeah, I'm jumping at the gun to take you inside the top 10. So that's that's what really brings it to me not wanting to take him that high in the draft. Now, again, we could come to the point of the conversation we've literally just had with Taylor Hendricks. At what point do you stop star hunting and you just look at, listen, this guy, he may not be your best guard. He may not be your second option on your team, but he's just going to be one of these guys who comes in, kicks ass, takes names, and walks off the floor and your team gets a W. And that's why you take him inside the top 10. I, I get that. And I can I can understand that line of thinking. I'm just having a tough time getting there. So is that where you are on him? Or do you actually think there's way more to unlock with Kaysen's game to where, yeah, I'm not just drafting you inside the top 10 because of what I think you bring to the table from a safe perspective. I also think your game's being way undersold in Kentucky and you you can be this really freaking awesome player in the NBA. Where are you at? I, I I still I still see Drew Holiday. Um, I, I I think him. That is a it, lofty ceiling. Like no, I know. I, so so I know you understand what that means when yes. that name is said. But there are a lot of other people out there who use that name and they they don't understand fully what that means. That is a lofty ceiling. I've watched Drew Hall. I mean, Drew Holiday gave me nightmares in last year's playoff against the Celtics. I was literally like, when did Drew Holiday turn into Michael Jordan? I was like, someone take that mask off like Scooby-Doo. That is Michael Jordan underneath that mask. I, I know still remember Holiday watching him as a, as, a, as a guy who lives close to Philly and going to 76 yes. games and being like, I, why, we traded that guy? Why, why did we trade that guy? I, I don't throw pro comparisons out often because I can't stand comparing two guys. Like there's one case in Wallace, there's one Drew Holiday, but I just see the level of impact of case in Wallace where he is a nasty defender. I think he plays the game the right way. I think the shots much better than I thought it was going to be this year. And I still think Kentucky is going to have prepared him the best for the long haul, but is driving me crazy watching him at Kentucky this year, because I think there could have been, a dog on offense. I think there it could have been more stuff, but I think he just does a lot of stuff on the court. And my hot take is outside of Victor and Scoot, because I'm leaving those guys out of all of this stuff, but Jerris and Kaysen, I think would be the two guys I feel the best about. Like, I know exactly what I'm getting when I get both of them. And I'm right there with you. I hate using terminology of safe because no prospect's ever safe. We we got to workshop that. That we'll, has to we'll, be like we'll a goal for no ceilings before yes. April. We got we got to workshop that. Term. Risk management, but we'll figure it out. So I mean, 
<laughs> I just think Kaysen and Jarris are guys that y- you're safe. You 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 know they're going yeah. to be able to impact some way. And Jarris is just with his size, he gets the advantage and he does so much damn thing. But Kaysen, I just feel the exact same way of. I, I know he's going to at least be a really good defender. Um, I know the shot looks bad. I know he's smooth with the ball in his hands. I don't really ever get worried about him being out of control. I think he he plays the game the right way. And um, he's really skilled. He's really freaking skilled on both sides. Yes. I mean, the last game he had three blocks, and that guy going back to high school. I mean, he loves the chase down block. Like he, does. he oh, he just foams at the he, mouth. Yes, so. he does. Um, unless you got anything else, Nathan, I think that was it. This was a great home and away. I, I don't mean to be, you know, biased, but probably the best one anyone's ever done. <laughs> no, Posted this was, me. no, I, I, I think everyone's going to have a fantastic time listening back to this episode. And I think the, the best thing that we can do as creators and evaluators in the space is when our content drives everyone else to ask 1 million questions to yes. themselves after they listen to our podcast. I, I'm a dangerous guy to talk prospects with because what one of my greatest strengths in life is I very much so see both sides of the same coin, but that that's a blessing. That's also a curse. Cause that means I can also talk myself into literally anything and at yes. any point as we're having these conversations. But as long as we're getting the dialogue going and continuing it with what we do on this podcast feed and what we do in no ceilings, that's all we really want to do at the end of the day. And we definitely accomplished that here. Nathan, plug whatever you got, whatever you got working on, whatever's in the on the horizon, plug away. You can always follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You find all of my writing at NoSillingsNBA.com. Life hit me fast and furious this last month. I'm coming back. I got another rookie rank cooking at, at some point soon here. Probably, probably the week after the Super Bowl, I'll get another rookie rank out, and then I'll be back doing all of my normal morning dunk coverage and leading up to the tournament and what tournament storylines are we looking at from a draft perspective. I'll have all that for you. And then as usual, draft deeper on the no ceilings NBA podcast feed. You can find myself as well as Maxwell and Steven. We're, we're always coming up with fun, creative shows. The the guys just had a great one. They had a great one. They looked at prospects that are just outside the top 60 on their boards that that fringe sicko shit that we all love. I and love no it. ceilings. They they hammered that out perfectly. So make sure you listen to that episode if you missed it. Well, his name is Nathan Grubel. My name is Tyler Rucker. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker. And as Nathan says, go to noceilingsnba.com. All of the content is free. You get it all for free. All you got to do is subscribe. It takes no time. You get delivered into your mailbox. And go check out the podcast feed. Give us a review. Tell us what we're doing awesome. Don't give us one star. We really get bummed out about that stuff. But um, for both of us, thank you guys for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Have a good one.